My guest today is Equanimous, a music producer, DJ, and a multi-instrumentalist. He combines elements of down-tempo, bass, house, and melodic dance music to create a joyous, high-vibrational atmosphere on the dance floor and in my kitchen and my living room probably every day. He's one of my absolute go-to artists on Spotify, and some of his collaborations with other artists like Activation Vibration, also known as Heather, are super, super powerful tracks that combine really powerful music with really intentionally selected affirmations. It's really powerful stuff. If you're not familiar with him yet, I really encourage you to go and check out his music on Spotify. Maybe go and listen to a track or two before you dive into this interview to get an experience of what we're talking about. Because in this interview, what we're doing is looking for words to put a story behind those beautiful creations that he puts into the world. But it's really cool if you get to experience it first and then get the artistic story, the rituals, the practices, the thoughts, that mindsets that go into the creation of it. And also just being bathed in the vibration of courage that it takes to express yourself so openly into the world. That's definitely one of my favorite takeaways. Enjoy this conversation with Equanimous. And if you're inspired, you can share a screenshot of you listening to this on Instagram stories and tag equanimouslove and xenia.brief. I would love to see what is moving you and what is reminding you your own truth your own courage, and your own creative flow in this world. I am so excited to share with you that my number one podcasting tool since day one of this podcast, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the discount link in show notes and stay tuned for why I love using Zen for the podcast. All right, Equanimous, I'm so excited to talk to you today about music, vibrations, affirmations, creativity, and anything else that comes into this conversation. I was just listening to you on Spotify as I was preparing for this, and that's actually how we got connected. I was doing a evening dream ritual, making some blue lotus tea, and listening to the abundance track by you and Activation Vibration. and I tagged you and we kind of connected. And so here we are. Welcome to the space. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's just nice to be able to talk and, and share some of where I'm at and all those kind of things. So I want to start in an unexpected place. And that is a TikTok that you posted not so long ago where you did a duet with a video of yourself as a child drumming like a beast and you did a beatbox as the current version of you on top of that and i just thought it was so beautiful not i want to definitely get into how in the world you were so good at drums at such a young age but also there was something so integral i feel for the journey that we're all on of seeing our child self seeing what lit us up then and continuing that as adults now so what was that about? Tell us the story. Yeah, thank you. So a lot of my childhood was actually filmed. I was one of those kind of YouTube babies before there was YouTube. Uh, 
you know, I was like two years old and playing in bands and drumming on trees and couches and all that stuff. And I definitely feel like I have been able to tune into my little kid self a lot. And one of the reasons is because I have all this footage. I had always kind of like seen these videos of like mashups and different things. And I've had people many, many times be like, oh, you should combine your little kid self with you now and everything. And so that I actually kind of just did pretty quickly. It wasn't even like perfectly timed, but um, I just wanted to get something out there and uh, it, with this concept, with this idea. And um, I do think that there's some kind of expansive spiritual kind of awakening aspect of being able to experience someone at the same time playing music, you know, separated by 30 years. So that was kind of like why that happened. And um, I, I do plan to do more things like that. It's just that after doing that one, it was so rough that like when I do them again, they're going to be super, you know, in time, like something that I can really set up to be more of a viral thing rather than just like blurting out a social media post. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I definitely want to explore a little bit more this interesting balance between what's present for you as a creator, as an artist, and how do you share it in the world in a way that actually lands and grows. But I kind of want to bookmark that and go a little bit sure. more into mm -hmm. your childhood. Yeah. How did you discover music? When did it become a form of self-expression you practice? And who was it in your family that was filming you and supporting all of that? That was definitely my parents. You know, when I was in the womb, um, they would go to concerts. You know, they, it, it was music was always everything. You know, it, I never didn't have that. Even when I was born, I, you know, I was a one-year-old watching Paul Simon Graceland jumping around. And it's just always been connected to me as a being. It wasn't ever like I grew into it or something. It's just, it's, I was born that way. And, um, and a lot of it is because of my parents and my family. They are a little bit musical, but mainly just kind of exposed me to music. I'm very, very grateful for them, of course. My grandfather was also very into music. He actually wrote a symphony and it was recorded. And um, there's been like light musical people in my family. But I would say I'm kind of the first to, do, to within like a direct lineage line that I know of to be doing it professionally. So it feels, um, it feels, it feels very aligned that way, actually. Um, but I would say like growing up, lots of music, you know, started playing guitar, piano, drums, all at an early age. And a lot of that was because of my parents. Mm. And at what point, if you remember, the thought crossed your mind that this is what you wanted to do as a career? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up um, kind of in the East Coast of Newton, Massachusetts with um, a lot of people are from Newton that you wouldn't expect, like, you know, Joe Rogan, Ram Dass. There's, there's a whole whole crew of us from this one town, which is kind of cool. Yeah, but many other people, which we can go down the list, but for now, we'll just stick to that. And uh, Louis C.K. is from Newton, um, but a lot of actors too. But <laughs> okay, regardless of that, um, yeah, so I would say that, you know, being in this town where it's very educational based, I had my parents kind of like, I didn't even really think it was an option to do. I just kind of thought that like music 
like in order to make it like, I mean, I dreamed of it, but like in order to quote unquote, like make it, it was almost impossible. That's what I was getting fed. So, you know, I would say that when I was kind of like going into school and college and picking up my schools, I wanted to study the music industry, the music business. I kind of had this idea that like, okay, maybe I could make this work by like doing music for movies. And I thought like, all right, this could be a thing, you know? And so I started to take that path. And then when I was in college, I like made a joke pop song, like as a joke, kind of like making fun of like auto-tune drinking culture. And it actually like kind of took off a little bit. And Will you just pause for a second yeah, and explain sure. auto-tune? I didn't go to college in the US. Sure. So, so auto-tune, like, you know, like auto-tune voice, like Akon in the 90s, you hear yes. those like really synthy voices. Okay. So it was like a joke on that. And um, I was literally just making fun of that kind of music, like party music. But it got taken seriously and it was kind of like on some college radio stations, be playing in the bars. A lot of people knew this one song and I kind of felt like, wait a second, that was easy. Like I could do that, but with music that I like. So I ended up, I was actually interning for the Roots, you know, the Roots at the time, the house band for Jimmy at Jimmy Fallon. And I left, I quit to go make like a, a rock album. And I was like, yeah, if I can do it with this dance music, I can do it with music that I want to do. And it, no one really cared. Like it, it wasn't the same. But at that moment was when I kind of thought like, all right, I could make this work. I wasn't sure how, but I really thought I could. And then one of my friends who I was living with at the time, who I, I've, you know, actually spoken about this story on other podcasts, but it feels like an essential part of my journey. His name is Drew, and he ended up becoming the Chainsmokers, which is, they're like the highest paid DJs in the world at the at the time. So watching like a, someone who I considered a peer and just like a normal person, and watching him just hit, you know, number one on the charts so fast, made me realize that like, all right, this is possible for me, definitely. <laughs> and um, yeah, it wasn't necessarily that I've been like attached to being a number one pop star or anything like this, but just to have it be sustainable. And, um, and now I'm, you know, gratefully at that point. And, um, I would say that, you know, there have been steps of realizing that it could work. The first one was kind of an accident. It was like this song that I made that I just did for fun. And once I like understood the value, it kind of showed me a future that was possible. And, you know, I've, I've gone on and off the path, but once I really like dedicated myself to it a hundred percent and was like, all right, I'm going to work hard. Like I'm going to work 16 hours a day, every day, whatever it takes, 20 hour days, whatever, you know, like once I chose that is when it started to, um, things kind of started to happen for me. So what was that flow of experimentation? Like, cause you mentioned that you got into rock and that didn't go well. And yeah. <laughs> I really, you know, don't want to brush over those situations yeah. where you do give it a lot of energy and then nothing happens. And I think with digital culture, with social media culture, we tend to forget all of the different times we tried something that didn't work and people only know us as the most successful thing we've done. So what was your journey of remembering and forgetting and trying different genres and finding what you do now? Yeah, you know, I think um, 
it was kind of a journey in finding my own inner essence. My essence is very playful and light and joyous and inspiring and, and really like holds this vibration of bliss. I feel like that is my essence. I feel like that's a lot of our essences, but you know, personally, I feel really connected to that. And so like when I was in high school making like emo music and like, you know, doing these different things, it wasn't a pure reflection of who I was. It was really like a pure reflection of like what I was going through. Right. Which is great. And it's, it's great to vent and share that kind of music, but not what I want to be sharing necessarily. And so as I, and, and it's funny, like the dance stuff worked immediately. And then I kind of like have been balancing myself out. I'm like, all right, how do I implement these? Like, you know, I started getting to Sigaros and you don't see these beautiful, like beautiful tones, just like beauty. And really now kind of, I feel like my success has come where I integrate a combination of beauty and like cleanness and, and connection to spirit with the dance aspect. And that feels the most me. So I feel like it's really just been a journey of finding me and then expressing that. And I'm sure when I'm like 50 or 60, I'll be making different kinds of music. You know, I'm already noticing myself do a lot more classical things, like implementing classical music onto like beats. And that's really where I'm getting like a lot of like expanded heart joy. So I'm, and I have these unreleased songs. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how they do. But even like my most played song right now, so my, so as of this day, you know, the, the song I've gotten the most plays on is Cellular Upgrade, the Resell Lions remix, which a lot of people know. But the track that I'm getting the most plays on right now, like day to day, isn't, it's like an instrumental song with no beat. With, where I like hired a, a a violinist to come on there. It's called Mystic Rising Bliss Looper Remix. I am Bliss Looper too. So it's like my own remix of my own song. But um, that is also kind of like growing in expansion. So it's interesting to just like see what's happening and what's working and finding that and, and continuing to express myself authentically through my music. Mm. Yeah, Cellular Upgrade is one of my personal favorites. And... Um, I would love to know what is it, what is your process both from you know the the human realm perspective and also from the invisible realm perspective how do you get these downloads how do you know which one to follow and how does it all come together Sure so like from a human realm it's very logistical right I'm like dealing with lots I'm collaborating all the time I'm dealing with lots of different producers I work with a lot of people I might like record some piano lay it down get a singer, have them come in the studio. We'll write something together. I'll just take that, give it to another producer. They'll mix it, whatever. You know, there's like all these different pieces happening. You know, I'm running a record label, have my records. I've got a great assistant. She helps with a lot of things. So like, there's a lot of moving pieces on the human level. I would say on the, and it's different every time, you know, every track that I do for the most part has been different. I would say that um, from like a more grounded spiritual level, um, it's been a practice of mine, especially as taking on the name equanimous, you know, standing for equanimity. It's been a practice of mine to really be in tune with my own system and to feel the subtleties of guides and direction and that kind of thing. And um, as I up level and train and expand my system, um, I feel like that is helping with the music part of it and so i'll be able to make decisions and create and you know as some people say get downloads or whatever just by practicing my own internal 
um, practice, I guess, or, you know, my awareness and growing that in that way. So that comes less on with like, you know, just trying to create and like putting focus there. It actually comes on more of like taking care of this vessel and also making sure there's, you know, everything is all organic, that all my clothes are organic, that, you know, so there's nothing going through my pores, that every food that I eat is organic. So I'm purely clean and pure and, um, and, and kind of like open to that radiant light. And, and so as I do that, the, the experiences both around music and inside and out, they both, um, you know, it, it allows for that aspect to integrate with the human, like, level of how I create. Mm. Yeah, and when you talk about the logistical side of it, all of your tracks, or a lot of them, are collaborations between so many people. There's so many different vocals and instruments, and you do so many things yourself on different instruments and with your voice, but then there's also these other female voices that come in. Totally. How do you identify what is meant to be part of the track you're working on? Yeah. Oh, man, it takes a lot of surrendering. I'll tell you that. A lot of surrendering. Really holding the vibration of the track and feeling like, so before there is even a song, just establishing like there is a song here. Now it's my job to get us to what that song wants to be. And that's what a lot of producing music is, you know? So it's just like a lot of like openness and lots of delegation and lots of notes. Like I'll have mixing engineers and they'll like send me stuff and I'll give like a page of note back, page of notes back and very specific. And then they'll like send me, you know, and there's a lot of back and forth like this. It's why I'm able to produce so many songs. I think it's just feeling it. It's just like feeling what the track wants to be and then honoring that and, and connecting and aligning with that. And once it's out, what is that experience like for you? When do you feel its essence? Is it yeah. when you're working on it or once it's out and you see other people? No, 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 definitely when I'm working on it. I feel like to be honest, most of the time, not at all the time, but most of the time, like if I've like, I'm like really in a song while I'm working on it. And then, you know, a couple months will go by until it's actually released. And when it's released, I'll like revisit it, listen to it a little for a little bit, be like, oh, this is great. But for the most part, like the peak energy of it is coming when I'm actually creating it. That's where the excite a lot of the mm. excitement comes. Yeah. I think I think that's you know, I'm sure I would get excited by feed by like lots of good feedback and all these things, you know, and songs have different lifespans. Um, but like when I first get those like shivers. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh my God, this is, it's like before the track's even out. Like with Cellular Upgrade, I remember the first time when I like really first heard that final master when I got it back from the master engineer, I was crying. I was getting shivers. Mm -hmm. It was strong. It was powerful. And I've had those moments with that song even after it's out. And though typically like those really profound moments of tears and healing will come as the song is being birthed. Mm. Do you have any rituals around finalizing your tracks or doing anything when you are putting them out there you know some people talk about some people reiki their songs before they put them out there's different rituals people have i'm curious what your thoughts on that yeah. you know whatever's gonna work whatever's gonna if that works for you great i think that for me i i before i go into a studio session with someone i like to like do like an intentional prayer um so that's pretty consistent 
you know, I would say like on a deeper level, that's kind of the basis. There's other things too. On a more logistical level, yeah, there's like before any song gets released, I like run it through the same meters. I make sure it all looks good. I have my like, you know, my more ritualistic traditions on a like a brush your teeth level rather than a pray to God level. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I have both. It's just they come at different times. Hmm. And you said there are some deeper things that you do. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely will kind of pray beforehand. I'll, it just depends on the song, right? Like some tracks they'll come out and it's just like fun and it's quick and it's easy and it's great. Some songs like take years to like, I've been working on this one song for like three years and I only have two lines of it, but I know it's strong, you know, and there's, there's lots of these things that it just really depends on the song. Sometimes like I've noticed that if I'm making a song, it'll like reflect what's on the outside, you know? Um, like if I'm making a song about love, maybe there'll be a love interest that comes in or something. It's just like, I, I notice there can, not always, but there can be a parallel there. And that causes a very deep, profound, or can cause a very deep, profound experience. So, you know, through that, it's kind of like, not just sitting and praying with the music, but also integrating it into real life and and like connecting the intentions of real life with the song and all of that. Mm. How did the name Equinemus drop in and at what point? Sure. Yeah, so I was doing a Vipassana, a silent meditation, a 10-day, and I heard that word, Equinemus, and it really stuck out to me. It also has all the vowels in it. I was like, what is this word? And I like, you know, when you do it, these like 10-day Vipassana, are you familiar with these 10-day Vipassana things? Yes. Yeah, so have you done one? I've done silent meditation retreats that were not Vipassana. Right, like a K-Pasana or something, yeah. Like so, a Jubu Pasana. Right. Oh, that's funny. I don't even know that. What does that stand for? It's just, that's just what it's Jew- called. Jewish Buddhist retreat. Oh, Jewish Buddhist retreat. Cool. I'm also a Jew. I was born a Jew. Um, anyways, I like that Jubu. <laughs> um, so I was in a Vipassana retreat, and I heard the word, and you know, you can kind of like, you're not supposed to talk, but but you can ask the teacher a question if you really need to. So I said, what does it mean? And he told me, you know, to have to, he, I think he said to be non-reactive, but I learned it means, yeah, to be non-reactive, even-minded, balanced, equally reactive, really, of non-reaction, equally reactive of non-reaction. <laughs> and I really liked that a lot. And um, I, But I thought, like, that's not enough. I need to throw in love in there. That's why I'm, my handle's mm-hmm. kind of quantumless love or whatever. Um, but I didn't actually think anything of it. I didn't, I didn't, think there was no part of my brain that was like, that's me. I'm going to be that name. I actually had this whole other crazy name I was going to do and all this, this whole thing with like comedy and music during the Vipassana that I was like so set on, which was hilarious because I totally let that go. But um, after the Vipassana, I was with a friend and I was actually with a friend from college who had experienced me in the kind of like in the pop state when I was in the pop space. Or Doja Cat um, state. Yes, yeah, exactly. And um and uh and he just kept on looking at me. He was like equanimous. And he would like say it, not like as if he was calling me it, but he would just say it to my face. Mm-hmm. And it really resonated. And I really like it because kind of like when I was growing up, I was very impulsive, not necessarily in the most healthy ways, sometimes, but not always. And so equanimity feels like a really good medicine for impulsivity. And I just, I, I realized that I like have been doing that anyways with my internal awareness practice. So 
yeah, I, I just kind of took it on and, you know, I asked permission. I like, you know, I did a whole thing where I more than one actually in, in my own way where I kind of like made sure that I could use it and that it was good. And kind of the message I got was like, yes, like you need to spread this word. So people just know what this word is. Mm. Not a lot of people know that word. So it's kind of how it came to be. <laughs> did you feel like there was a shift in how you show up after you changed the name? It's a good question. I remember when I first started my podcast, it seemed like solving a tech puzzle. But I've been using Zencaster since day one, and it's made it so easy. It provides crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. What I love about it is that it records separate audio and video tracks for me and my guests, so the editing process is a lot more customized. Plus, there's secured cloud backup, so I've never lost an episode. It's super easy to use, there's nothing to download. My guests just have to click the link and we start recording. I am a huge fan of Zencaster and I haven't even tried the Red Extra functions yet, like post-production and transcriptions. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and enter promo code Xenia to get 30% off your first three months with pro account or try it for free with a hobbyist account. That is Z-N-C-A-S-T-R.com forward slash pricing, promo code Xenia, K-S-E-N-I-A, or click the link in the show notes. It's time to share your story. Over time, yeah. I feel like I started to attract more scenes in life where my equanimity was expanding and I was really understanding the medicine of being equanimous and and yeah and so like i'd say it first developed interpersonally now it's developing musically where it's like i'm kind of taking equanimous as like yeah there's all these songs and all these different genres and things that i'm making and that's exactly when it's important to be equanimous is when there's all these things kind of flowing through so it's just taken different stages and it's kind of happened over time i don't think there was like one moment where I was like, now I'm equanimous, you know, it just mm -hmm. kind of, it just kind of happened over time. You know, with a name like that, and with a lot of the tracks that you produce, they feel very intimate. When I mm -hmm. do any kind of work, or I do consultations with content creators, or just people who want to get on social media and share their message, share their work, uh, what stops people from showing up a lot is feeling exposed and feeling shy around sharing something that's so sacred to them, sharing their life's mission with people, whether that's on YouTube or, you know, a lot of people are super shy about Instagram stories, but honestly, it feels like music is even more vulnerable because people yeah. get to go so deep with you and you get to be a soundtrack for people's lives, which is even deeper than soundtrack to a movie that people might watch once. And that's sure. it. Yeah. You know, growing up, I was like positively enforced with intent with attention so like i liked attention a lot it validated me and eventually over time like this idea of being vulnerable became almost like a challenge of like i got to be vulnerable my ego is going to grow if i'm vulnerable right like and so it's just it just took practice but now i'm i just feel much more comfortable in what i'm expressing i'm not like 
I don't feel like the world's super big or anything to be afraid of in a way where it's like not okay to express yourself. You know, I've, I've gone through plenty of embarrassing feelings and moments and I've come out the other side of it and that's helped a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I just feel secure and confident in myself and in my system. Um, and I've been validated by many people, which has helped to make me feel safe in order to share my soul and heart like that. So yeah, for me, it's just kind of, at this point, it's just kind of second nature. I think what I'm getting into now, like my reach now is really like a lot, most people don't know this, but a lot of my voice is in a lot of my tracks, whether it's like, you know, like something like that, or it's like actually me singing some like ooze in the background, you know, but people don't know it's me. And so right now I'm kind of like, stepping more into actually singing on my songs and i actually have a song on the 31st coming out where i would say it's like out you know i've released like i'm getting shivers now probably released like 140 tracks and this is the first song where like i am actually singing with my voice as a main vocal it's still only a couple lines but um yeah it comes out on new year's and um i it feels like a good healthy step for myself to be able to expand that um, and really like allowing myself to be vulnerable with my voice because I, I feel like I do have even though my voice isn't super trained I feel like it has potential and and just like everyone's voice does and so I'm I'm kind of on the journey to realize discover and share that potential and gift mm. what's the name of the track it's called the way home Ooh, all right yeah, Would you share out. what what it's yeah. about or the story of how it came sure, together? Yeah, um, it's a little emotional for some reason, but um, and I want to be very careful with my words because I haven't talked about it publicly. But um, I had a very close relationship. I'm going to kind of like uh, I'm going to tame the story a little bit just for the sake of the story. But um, I had a close relationship. It was uh, with someone, with, with a roommate of mine. It was not a, um, there was a lot of love there. Not a, like, not a relationship of, you know, a certain type of intimacy, more of like a deep, deep, deep uh, friendship bond of love. And there are little tangents and side things I can go into, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave it at that for now. And share that it was, um, you know, a deep friendship, and um, and he st still is in many ways. And I made the conscious decision to leave and move out. And you know, there was an aspect of that that I felt like if I, you know, we had kind of created like a home, even though it was a, just like a friend dynamic, we had still created a home together. And, um, and it was like over COVID. And so like, you know, people grow, grow, grow closer than they normally would, I feel like. And I, you know, I, I wanted her to feel like there was still a home there without me. And um, it feels like I'm going to tear up talking about it. But, um, but so the, the words are kind of, directed towards her and just kind of like you the, the the main line is you is is you always i was going to sing it but i can't hear it in my headphones but it's, <laughs> the main line is you always knew the way home and kind of like 
aiming to encourage her to find home without me, basically. And so that was that's the motivation for that's the inspiration for the for the track. And there's other lyrics that are involved in it. Um, it's a very unique thing to write about. I, I don't know how many people will, will relate to that specific example, but I do think people will be able to relate to this idea of like you always knew the way home. You know, you mm-hmm. didn't you didn't need some kind of external thing to be home. Yeah, to into the frequency even of just the words the way home. There's so much that comes up and I think it's going to be up for everyone's interpretation to receive whatever medicine they're meant to receive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing about music, you know, people feel that connection to the vibration where they're at, you know. Right. Well, I was so excited to check it out. Um December 31st. We'll be turning December in. 31st, yeah. Right. When does this air? Do we this know This will yet, probably not? air on next Thursday, which is right before that. Oh, perfect. So so tomorrow. <laughs> um not tomorrow, but the following. Right. Well, if people are watching, uh-huh. then it'd be like the song comes out tomorrow. That's right. Yes. Right. right. Great. <laughs> I'll link to it in the show notes for sure. And, you know, I wanted to kind of ask a non-specific question about what you would tell someone who might think they have a son in them. But the truth is, I know I have a son in me. So you can just speak to me. What would you say? To someone like me who doesn't have any musical training, doesn't feel like they know how to sing, but there keeps coming in this guidance that there's something to record and share. And, you know, so far what I received that it's like a spoken word piece over Mm -hmm. music. And I just have no idea where to begin. Sure. So two things. Number one is I would say go as crazy and express yourself as possible. Whatever, you know, whatever. And like, just allow it to like, see if it wants to come out naturally on its own. Okay. If your system doesn't have practice at that, I would highly actually recommend setting up a session with like a creative vocal teacher or someone who is holding the codes and the vibrations of how to overcome expressing something that you don't necessarily know how to express, but you feel in your system. And once you merge with that person's codes, you will have the codes yourself and then you can use them to express yourself. So I am a huge, huge, huge believer in saving time. And whether it's a YouTube video or it's setting up a session with someone, studying with someone who already has the code so you don't have to build and learn the code from scratch. You can just get it from them and then share. Do you have a specific coach that you can recommend? Yes. I would say for this, it depends. I would need to like know more what about it. But like if it was a singing thing, immediately my brain would probably go to Kayla Diana. But for what you're for what you're trying to do, or Maria Stark, for what you're trying to do though, especially involving spoken word, if if you're like not sure, I would probably tune in with um, Clarity, who's an artist that I work with. She sings on the track all day with me, and she does this type of work. Actually, her name's Clara, and I'm happy to happy to connect you to her. Beautiful, awesome. And what's the step two? Well, that I guess the two steps. The first one was like, blah, blah, create it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, and then the next would be actually setting up the thing. You know, and and after that, I think like once you are aware of how to get it out. The rest is just like logisticals. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not about like training your creative muscles. It's about like, all right, well, what do I do with this now? You know, and and that's just like, 
you can Google or you, or, or like, that's just like, okay, I have a song now. How do I get it out? You know, it's just, it's a little bit more of the other side of the brain rather than like the creative, like, okay, I just want to get this out of my body so I can hear it and reflect back what I hear. Now, in terms of the music, you know, you write all of your own beats and you're also bliss looper, but for someone who doesn't make their own music, AK me or yeah. someone else listening to this who also has yeah, a son in them. Sure. Does getting music from let's say epidemic sound give you the permission to then use it as your own track on it Spotify? Dep- I'm not familiar I'm not familiar with epidemic sound. Mm-hmm. Um it depends on the licensing agreement. You know, if it's a commercial license, meaning you can use it commercially, meaning you can take the song or if, or if it's royalty free, meaning you can like use it commercially, take the song and make money off of it. You don't have to pay royalties then yes. But if someone owns the content and has not agreed to that, then no. It just depends. There's also so there's so many ways to do this, right? There's like, I always tell people like, I feel like a lot of musicians and artists and singers, they feel like they like need to learn Ableton or they need to learn logic. They need to learn how to be their own producer and engineer. And yes, if you're feeling called to that, go for it. But my, but a such, honestly, I think it's such good advice. What I'm about to say is that if you don't want to do that and you don't want to be sitting on the computer and you just want to be the artist, then hire a producer, hire an engineer. Like I hire producers and engineers all the time and I am a producer and an engineer, you know, it's totally okay to do. And the truth is that the majority of songs, especially in the pop world, but the majority of songs are doing this. There's almost like this shame of like, oh, but no, you have to do everything yourself. I think that's totally, totally just honestly unintelligent you know there are some producers that really value like doing the whole entire thing yourself and i think that's beautiful and i respect the shit out of those people sorry if i just cussed them i'm not supposed to but i respect them okay i respect them greatly and if that's their lane do it because they want to do it it's their desire but if you don't want to do it don't do it you know what i mean you could easily hire a producer you could go to one of these sites where you can buy a beat there's so many different ways to do it. You can hire one producer to produce different things for you. You can hire, you could be the producer yourself where you're hiring different musicians and engineers. You know, there's, there's many ways to do it. I would just say like, my advice is find out truly what it is that you want to do and what that, what it is that is aligned for you. Be an expert at that. And then everything else, let others support you in getting there. If you like don't have the money to pay for it, instead of like, if you're like, oh, but I don't have the money to pay for a producer. Well, work and use that money to pay for a producer because it's going to be a lot faster for you to work at something and do something where you can make money to support yourself to pay a producer than it will to spend 10,000 hours learning a computer program that you don't even want to learn just to save money when you're not actually going to be saving money because you're going to be wasting time. Mm. Clearly, well, I feel yeah. passionate about the subject. <laughs> Clearly, you feel very passionate. And I think it's such a, an important message you're right, you know, and it applies to so many different things. You know, outsourcing some things about social media, email marketing, some business aspects, accounting, so that oh, we can that. create space to be in the center of who we're meant to be in the world and in our highest frequency, sharing what we're meant to be sharing with the world instead of just like always doing the busy work. Totally. Even if you're right, even if you know how to do everything. Like I figured out how to do all my own podcast editing and just I kept hearing the voice. No, no, like Okay, you feel empowered, you know this stuff now, but you're not meant to be doing it. You're really meant to be present for the interviews, right. and that's your gift. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. You know how it goes. 
So at what point did you also start producing and what have you been learning from being in that game as well? Yeah, let's see. I started producing when I was 12. I was using, or around that time, 11 to 10, 12. I was using like these computer programs that don't even exist anymore. Then I got a garage band. And yeah, I mean, I started at a very, very early age. And it's just been up leveling and growing and growing and growing and growing. I wouldn't, you know, I, I do definitely consider myself an expert producer and a master at that. In terms of like engineering certain sound design, I would not say I'm an expert. I'd say I'm good, but I want everything that I do to be, you know, of the highest quality. So for certain sound design things, I will delegate that. But yeah, I've been doing it since I was a kid, last 20 years. And at what point did you also start producing other people's tracks and within your own label? Um, I feel like I always produced other people's tracks, you know, like in that, like when I was young, I feel like I had friends that I would like help them and do that kind of thing. Also, I don't really produce other people's tracks anymore unless it's like someone's hiring me to do a remix, which I've done less and less of. And at this point, like I'm really only doing them if I'm inspired and, and the paycheck is good. Um, so it's a tough question to answer because I, yeah, I, I guess I've been doing it for a while. And wait, I'm just realizing, did you mean like producing by like putting out other people's music that I'm not actually on? Was that the question that you were referring to? What I don't know mean, what like, the, with other people? what's the exact terminology for there's musicians who aren't yet, who are not on your tracks whose music right. you help put out there in the world. Right. Got it. Yeah. So that's, I would say like we release the music through the label. So that's like, mm. you know, I have, I have a label, I have I records and I have a wonderful, wonderful team of people that take care of pretty much everything at this point, you know, I, for like the first year I worked very, very hard to establish that. Um, but now I have employees that do all those things for me for the most part. So now what I'm doing mostly is just having conversations and people will send me music and I'll be like, yes, let's release this. Let's put it out or eh, not for us. And, um, and so that's, so really it's it, at this point, it's really as simple as like, send me a song. If I like it, we release it. That's kind of it. Sometimes, sometimes there'll be tracks that are on the line and I'll like send them to different artists or like my team or, um, I work a lot with Skyzy, So I'll send them a track. Like, hey, do you think we should release it? But, you know, but for the most part, it's like, I'm making the decision then and there, like it either vibes with mm-hmm. high vibe records, which is a vibe that I'm holding or it doesn't. And it makes me think of all of those movies where they show producers who are sitting in this like big VIP room and they keep getting CDs and tracks and they're like, yes. No, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. And when it's a yes, do you make an agreement with the person? Is it exclusive? Yeah, so if it's a, yeah, no, if it's a yes, I mean, our agreements are very different, but if it's a yes, um, I'll say, you know, my wonderful label manager, Corey, I'll say, Corey, let's get, you know, them a release date, a contract, and they'll just kind of take it all from there. And Corey handles the logistics, the administration, all that stuff. Um, We have other people on the team as well, but um, she's kind of like running the label at this Mm -hmm. point. And why would people do it through the label instead of doing it on their own? Well, I mean, we have a nice network and we can get songs out to people and, you know, we've got a bit of um, some clout. Is that the right word? Some like, you know, some, some... uh, notor- notoriety a little bit, I think. That's the right word. Um, and also, we we have deals with different influencers, and we run playlists on Spotify, so we're actually able to get music out into people's ears. So if they do it on their own and they put out a track, maybe they'll get like 
if it's their first track, it's just their friends and family, they'll get a hundred plays in the first week. But if it's, you know, going out to these playlists that we're running, we could get 10,000 plays in the first week. So it's, it's a very, it's certainly quite a, a larger advantage to release with a label, especially one that has access to people's ears, which we do. Interesting. Cause you know, thinking about the democratization of music on Spotify, I would have thought that someone can just put it out and if it gets picked up, it just all of a sudden reaches all these There's, It's possible. It's like, I would say like 0.1%, maybe one in a thousand tracks are like that, probably even a little less. Um, but it does happen. I've seen it happen. But you want to take that one in a thousand chance, go for it. You know what I mean? So what is that balance, looping back to where we started, between you know the algorithms and knowing how it works, getting in the right playlist, and the room for miracles. What are you noticing both in your own tracks, but also in the ones that your label releases? I'm noticing, honestly, that like, I don't quite, I don't quite understand it yet. Um, I'm <laughs> learning more and more. Um, the tracks that have, well, the tracks that have like, where Spotify has kind of like pushed without us doing much, they've all been very like easy listening, kind of like sonically pleasing not big hard beats like things you can put in the background almost you know i have this other project called uh, peaceful green it's just me and my friend he plays acoustic guitar and i play piano and we'll make a track it'll take us like an hour or two we'll like he's in hawaii we'll, he'll send me like guitar i'll send him a piano and we'll just do it one take i'll send it to a mixing engineer i'll mix it master it done and the first track that we released on that, we had zero following. I don't even think I shared it really on social media, media maybe like once. And it, it's been out for like four months or something. And it's got like half a million plays already because mm -hmm. Spotify's put it on like their editorial playlist and all these things. And it's so such a simple track. So it really, it just depends on like, you know, I guess it depends on what Spotify wants to do. Really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Luckily, like, now that I have, you know, my following is growing and, and things are happening. Most of the tracks that I release will get into a good amount of ears, but um, something like half a million plays in four months, I would, at this stage in my career, I would consider is, you know, good. Maybe in a year from now, I'll be like, ah, oh, that's nothing. Who knows? Mm. Um, it just depends on the track, I think. What's your vision of where you want to create music and how you want to connect with people? Yeah. I feel the vision more than see it. It's very vast and big. And it's kind of like, as equanimous, I'm holding this vibration of connection to, you know, the global world, the masses, while embodying a more conscious, healthy lifestyle. It's kind of like, it's almost like partying out of true aligned self-expression rather than like getting numb to feel safe to party. And that's the vibration that I'm holding. And I do see the planet lining up with it more and more. And um, yeah, I, I just kind of see myself as like this artist that's connected to a lot of artists and uplifting them and, and also uplifting others and having myself be uplifted through the experience, through spirit and all of it. Um, my ultimate goal, I can tell you, is to play music out of the sky. It's always been like my life goal. Um, I don't know if it's possible, but 
I, up until recently, I thought I was just crazy for thinking that. Once that whole thing with the UFOs came out on like 60 Minutes and the government acknowledging that there's thousands and thousands of UFOs in our sky every day, it opens up this possibility, like this legitimate possibility for extraterrestrial technology, which opens up a legitimate possibility for being able to broadcast sound across the whole earth. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I would like to be the one that has my music being played through that sound system <laughs> to unify the planet. Well, according to Heather, Activation Vibration, who is an upcoming guest, we will be making conscious and massively broadcasted contact with aliens in 2024. So it might be something you think. Right. And she's told me that as well. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Why do you think that is? Why do you think space is kind of the access? I don't know if it's the access. I guess it, it could be one of the access points, but mainly because it's like vast. It's 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 bigger than us. You know, what a lot of people don't realize when in their conscious thought is that we're in space right now. Like we're on a planet floating in space. My new song actually has that line where we're living on a planet floating in space. But we're literally on a planet floating in space right now. We're in space, you know? You know, everything feels so that. like real and earthy, but when you think about it, you're right. We are part of that sky. Right. That's what we're told. I mean, who who really knows? But we are in space. It feels like we're in space, but I can't like feel beyond the earth, which is like, like, why can't I feel beyond the earth, you know, internally, but I can feel up. I don't know. <laughs> it's a whole, I could, I could think my way out of all this stuff. I love that. So you've mentioned spirit and your spiritual journey kind of here and there. And I would love to go a little bit more into when did you become aware of yourself as being more than a physical body and what has the journey been like and how does it correlate with your creative self-expression and creative journey? Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say I like was aware of all this stuff, but not, not like fully through thought. So like I could feel it as, as a kid, I think just learning, like listening to people talk about it and resonating with different people just kind of grew it over time. Definitely reading The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle that when I was in college, I read that book and that was life-changing. That was kind of like a, like I had built up a lot and then that was like, oh, oh. Um, so that was kind of like a big aha moment. Another one was spending time with this one specific um, friend who was, he was an actor and very spiritual man though. And so seeing him explain the difference and relationship between acting and being and then feeling it and then applying that to my own practice of what I identify myself as also opened things up for me. I think a third thing I would say would be like cleansing my system, different doing different plant medicines and really changing my diet, like getting rid of all the junk that's in a system. My system feels like a million times so much abundantly more clear and flowy like my natural organs and my natural like energetic signals and pathways and all these things are just like working so much better than they were 10 years ago and i didn't even know that they weren't you know flowing well 10 years ago you know experiencing different emotions of fear and all these whatever it is 
now there's just so much more room for love. I mean, of course, I'm still on, on my own journey and, and learning different things and opening up in different ways. And, you know, some things that I may be really far in, I may be behind in others. And, you know, who knows, just still, still working it all out. It's the human journey. And though what I can say is like having my system very clear allows me to feel much more subtle energy. And that is very expansive. Um, and I've, you know, I have had quite a few experiences with playing with energy and within my system and how that, um, just the relationship between that and awareness and spirit and truth and reality and all of it. Just that. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned plant medicines. Are there particular ones that you are mostly connected with now? Um, yeah, I mean, now it's way different. Like before I went on this whole healing journey where I was like, oh, I got to try them all and figure it all out. And, um, you know, I did, I did ayahuasca and peyote and San Pedro and all the different ones in ceremony settings, you know, once I did a boga, it was like, all right, you're good, Nate. You just changed your DNA, your cells, your, your structure, your connections between your gut and your mind and your brain and your heart and full on surgery. I mean, that is, a, are you, have, are you familiar with the boga? I'm familiar. We've talked about it on the podcast, actually, but um, I don't have experience with it directly. Yeah, it's it's a it's for me at least. It wasn't as like psychedelic trippy, but it definitely taught. I mean, it was strong. <laughs> and um, after that, I, I really didn't feel a call to like heal through plant medicines like that anymore, and really felt more of a call to heal through like working hard <laughs> and achieving my goals. And and so from that, like plant medicines have become. I haven't, I haven't, since I've done the aboga, which was years ago, I have not done ayahuasca or San Pedro or peyote or any of those, those things, um, any kind of really like ceremonies like that. And maybe I will in the future. I currently don't feel called to right now, but I might in the future, who knows? So for me, like the plant medicines have been more about like, honestly, like just having fun and expressing in safe settings, like microdosing on certain things and you know, or maybe doing it to like connect with a human and, and grow that relationship with a human. But it's not as like, it's not as much of a thing in my life at this point, um, something I'm open to, but, but not as like, you know, it, it takes a lot. Like it's a, it's important to take these things seriously. And yeah, I guess now I'm trying to think of like now what the answer is. I mean, there are various ones that I dabble in now that I do in a more, slowly setting that kind of thing mm. you know they say that once you have set with a plant medicine you can always invoke its spirit into your being without actually ingesting it and i really believe that and i'm I totally yeah and i'm totally with you i truly believe that they call to us when we're ready and the the setting shows up the people show everything just kind of arranges itself when it's time but if it's not telling us to sit with it, then there's no point because there's so many other things and energies we're constantly working with. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I will say, I guess reflecting, I do, I do have practice with, with ganja. I, I, you know, the marijuana plant has always been in and out of my life. It's, you know, it's not an everyday thing, but it's something that um, at times it has been. And, you know, it's something that I, I use for meditation, you know, I, I tend to, if I'm going to do it, usually I'm alone. So I guess, you know, working with that is a little bit more present than some of the others at this 
point in time. But you know, this it's a whole flow. It's like it all it's all kind of just depends on where one is at, I believe. Mm. What are some of the most unexpected things that have happened out of you sharing your music with the world? Specifically for music, I mean, I've had some crazy stories. I've had people I've had like people that I admire and I've gone up to them being, Oh, that was a great set. Oh my God. And then they've like been like, you have no idea how much your music has influenced this set in my, my own music and just things like this. You know, I had someone who was, they recently, they told me that they're um, just someone I didn't, I've never even met this person. Wonderful being though. And he told me that when his son was being born, like, they intentionally put on cellular upgrade through the birth as he was going through the birth canal so they could be born to that song. And like, I would have never even thought about that. You know, it's such a cool thing. Um, and, and also like experiencing, you know, there, there is something about experiencing a fan who's like really almost like in awe. I remember, cause I remember what is, what I was like, to you know when i was a fan to someone else like a true super fan you know and and i do have those and so to experience them in real life when they come to a show or something you know they're it's interesting it's like there's this deep connection they feel like they know me very well and but because i don't know them necessarily there's like there is a little bit of separation but there's also a deep connection at the same time and i think these experiences have been unexpected in terms of like what they actually feel like to go through. I'm very grateful for them. It's certainly ego booster. Um, but also it's, it's very like it, there's an, there's an aspect of humility to it too. It's humbling. It's, it's like, I feel very honored and like grateful that someone would see me this way. And even if I like them were to become friends with them or whatever, I, you know, still seeing how they would interact with my music I guess other people's reactions has been like, it's, you know, I've like, I guess I had this, have had this weird expectation to be successful in music, but I didn't ever think about like what it would be like to connect with a fan who's having these experiences through my music. Because, you know, we see in TV, it's like, I guess I had imagined there would be like these, like, you know, people being like, Oh my God, your music and like knocking on the door and crazy stuff. And it's not like that, especially with my music. It might be with other people's, but with mine, it's not with mine. It's like someone coming out to be being like, you know, they just went through a 21 year divorce or something in their, and their 21 year marriage. And they're just getting divorced. And the only thing that got them out of bed was my music or just like things like this, you know, have come up and, and it's the stories and, and like the, the like experiencing people in those stories and how my music has affected them that has been, I guess, a little bit unexpected. And I welcome more of it, honestly. Mm. What's the best way for people who do love your music and want to send you a note? You know, sometimes I'm listening to a song on Spotify and it deeply moves me. And I'm like, I'm just going to like send the artist a note. You know, they probably get yeah, millions sure. of these, but why not? No, I, you know, it's unless you're like a really, really, really big artist or you're someone that just doesn't check your messages we all get them. You know, I might not respond to all of them, but I would say a very large percentage of I'll at least like tap the like button, you know, just to show that I read it and acknowledgement. And I am getting a lot of messages, but, um, or like I'll do an emoji, you know, maybe like one out of every 20, I'll be like, Oh, thank you so much. Or whatever. Like if it's being called to me, whatever, but most of them, it's just like a, an emoji or like a, you know, something like this. And it's all, you know, I would say that the easiest way is Instagram. 
for me, at least that's if I'll read any Instagram message, even if it's in like the other category or box, I'll, I'll look for now. I, I see them all, you know? So, but I don't know once, you know, once I'm like a really, really big artist, I don't know if I'll have time to read them, who knows? But as of now, you know, I'm, I'm not getting like that m- many where I can't like, you know, where I can't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Instagram and social media presence overall plays a big role in people discovering your music? Some, um, yes, but um, I would say like a lot of it is Spotify. You know, I would say that most people are finding it through Spotify. Some are, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't really fully know. Like some are, you know, like here's an example, like maybe like I've done a, do a track with activation. So yes, all like people will find me out that way through that Instagram or other people. I haven't really had any like viral videos yet where people are like discovering me through that. There are some, I will say there have been some, but for the most part, you know, for the most part, it's just, it's, it's been just Spotify, but still some Instagram. Hmm. Some of your tracks with Heather, like cellular upgrade, are some of your most downloaded ones. How did that whole collaboration come together? Because it's just such a, a unique blend of so many different frequencies. What, what did this collaboration start as? Well, Heather's, Heather's been a friend. I mean, Heather has been a friend. Like before she was making me, she's always been a great friend. Not always, but I see. We've, we've been friends for years. And I love Heather and we have a very special relationship. Um, and I remember like, I think one of the first times she did any kind of a music, anything, she came over and just like recorded a rap. We didn't even put it out. I actually put out the beat. It's called Balance is Key. She rapped on that track. So cute and funny. Um, but once she started to, she did that track, um, Kundalini Rising, and I think that's what it's called, and um, with Matt. And once they put it out, I was like, Heather, this is great. We got to do some stuff now. And so we just kind of dove in and we've been, you know, we've done a lot of collabs because I have collabs with her, not just for Equanimous, but for Bliss Looper too. You know, we just put out Abundance. I'm sure we'll have more people will be remixing her stuff. Um, and I feel like her, like the way she kind of delivers these codes through words is very, very complimentary to what I'm doing with my music. And, and so it really feel, fits nicely. And now Heather's singing. I mean, I feel like some of her other tracks she really like jewel in the lotus the one that we did with bliss Super, i feel like was the first one where thank you yeah i feel like that was the first one she really sung on you know like besides like parts of kundalini rising um and then abundance she's definitely singing on so you know she's got a great voice and i think that it's to be honest it's been getting better and better so i'm very excited to see you know what we create more and more in that realm I actually didn't realize it was her. When someone is singing on the tracks that you guys have done together, I thought it's just someone else doing the singing part because I didn't expect her to sing. For Cellular Upgrade, it is. So that's uh, We Saw Lion's amazing voice. I mean, she blows me away. Um, but Abundance, Heather's singing on. Jewel and the Lotus, Heather and I are both singing on that track. There's no one else on that track but us. Um, Answer the Call, we did get her friend Devana to sing on. So so that one is... but. Um, yeah, the, the, we're, we're moving more in the direction of like her um, singing and just seeing what's possible. Mm. Before we wrap, you know, we kind of 
pointed a couple of times to success. And I want to just dive a little bit into what, how do you measure success? You know, as a musician in this age where Spotify seems to be the platform, or at least one of the most major ways for people to discover you, there's always like the miraculous situations of you just putting something on TikTok and going viral and closing a record deal. And, or on YouTube, you know, I've seen those stories happen. For you, it sounds like Spotify has been the main platform. So how do you measure success? What do you look for? And yeah, I think originally I had a goal of like, okay, if I can pay for my life at a bare minimum, I'm talking like food, rent, gas, no savings, but just if I can pay for my life, for my expenses through Spotify alone, that's what I labeled as success. And I figured it out. It was like, I need like something like 50,000 50, streams a day or something. And it took me a couple of years, but I did it and I'm there and I got there. And so that was my first like, all right, success as a musician. If you can take care of yourself and not including shows or anything and have passive income coming in from Spotify at a bare minimum, that's what I, that's what I happen to define as success. Now I have a whole new idea and goal of what success is. You know, now for me, it's having that be able to cover my life and my future's families and my future family's life and their savings as well and being able to live abundantly in that. So that's kind of like my next stage that I'm on that journey right now. Once I get there, I don't know if I'll have another thing of success. I'm just talking about financial success right now. You know, there's a lot of other kinds of success like oh like, you know, I'd love to headline lightning in a bottle for instance. I probably am a couple of years away from that but um i would love to do it and so that's like a success point for me as well you know but in terms of just like financial success and stability those have been my goals and that's kind of like my next goal and intention so what 500,000 downloads a day streams a day yeah streams i'd say say if i can get to if i can get to 500,000 streams a day let's see yeah i say that's a good Let's just call it that right, right now. 500,000 streams. 500,000 streams a day on Spotify. And I will feel like I've achieved my next level of success. Putting it out there, universe. Thank you very much. You've been witnessed. So is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share with the listeners? I think just thank you. You know, you're, what you're doing is thank you to you and thank you to the listeners. What you're doing is obviously of a very kind of like aligned way to spread consciousness and awareness. And I think that's really important. And I think it's really important to, for humans to do their best to live that way. And um, one of the ways is of course music. So thank you for listening to my music and thank you for sharing it and spreading it. And thank you um, both to you and everyone out there for really living this way and staying true and doing the best you can to, to be healthy in this, lifestyle and way of living because i think it's important and um i think it also brings upon the most joy and delight as well cheers to that beautiful mm -hmm. thank you so much nate definitely will be tuning into your track on december 31st and beyond and happy holidays yes happy holidays too as well thank you so much if you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. 
When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.